Hey there, friends. What is up? Before we get into the show, I wanted to mention that I'm going to be doing something new. I am currently sitting at 100 episodes of this podcast, and I'm going to start looking for sponsors. So instead of running some automated ad for like a cell phone company or something like that, I figured I would just reach out to you, the listener, to see if you guys would be interested in potentially sponsoring this podcast. So if you record bands and you want to get the word out, or you've got a new single from your band and you want to get the word out, hit me up and let's collaborate. Let's make this work. I'm going to keep it very affordable and this is going to be a great way to get some new fans or get a new audience could be a fun little partnership if you're interested shoot me a dm on instagram my handle is at kyle k-y-l-e underscore devlin d-e-v v as in victor l-i-n underscore underscore okay and now on to the show Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends, and I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. friends. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm extremely excited to be speaking with Mr. Billy Brimblecom Jr. Billy is an incredible drummer that has played in some amazing bands in the Kansas City music scene. He has played for Stick, The Creature Comforts, Blackpool Lights, Summer Breeze, and many more. He also played for Los Angeles band The Start. This guy is a legend. Billy has also been the executive director of the nonprofit organization Steps of Faith Foundation since 2013. Steps of Faith provides limbs to amputees who might not be able to afford them. They help people get prosthetic limbs, and Billy knows all about this as he lost his leg to Ewing sarcoma in 2005. We talk all about that, his story. We talk all about the organization as well as the yearly fundraiser they throw in Kansas City. It is hosted by Mr. Ted Lasso himself, Jason Sudeikis. Thunder Gong. We talk about a whole bunch of cool stuff in this episode. I had always heard that Billy has a heart of gold, and I can confirm he's a very easy to talk to, down to earth guy, and I want to thank him for the time. The website for Steps of Faith is stepsoffaithfoundation.org. Thunder Gong is this upcoming Saturday, November 12th, at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City, Missouri, and a little birdie told me that there's still a few tickets left. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Billy Brimblecom. What's up, man? How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Sorry for my tardiness. No worries at all. It actually worked out for me. I played with my dog for a little bit and made some tea. Nice. <laughs> I never thought I would actually say those words, but here we are. Yeah. Just made some tea for Friday morning. <laughs> Very good. No, dude, I appreciate you agreeing to do this on a Friday morning. I know it's the end of the week, so I'm usually sprinting to the finish line a little bit. I don't know if that if yeah. it's like that for you at all, but... Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Fridays can be hit or miss, but I woke up feeling good today. So thank you for doing this. I appreciate your time. 
Yeah, man. No, I'm, it's a fun idea. And you've interviewed a bunch of my, you know, our friends, right? So yeah. uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. My finish line comes in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's kind of like my finish line for the year in a lot of ways. So like I said, this, in some ways, this is like easier to schedule that it came up now because it just is weird how your brain works. I'm like, oh, this is part of Thundergong. Like interviewing with you, even if we don't talk about that, it's yeah. like part of, this is what I'm doing. I'm like talking to people all day and doing interviews and sending a million emails and trying to wrangle a bunch of famous people to do my, my bidding, you know? Yeah, of course, man, for sure. Yeah, I would imagine there's a lot of people vying for your attention and time leading up to Thunder Gong and everything. That's cool. And you being a drummer, you probably didn't have to deal with that too much in the bands as far as like interviews and press and stuff. Did you ever have to do that with the start at all? That's funny you ask that about the start because I was thinking about that very thing, doing interviews with that band. I just wanted to do all of them. You know what I mean? Just especially mm-hmm. at that point, because I was like, I've joined the band. I got the tattoo. I'm a member, like, you know, naively, it's like, hey, dude, you've been in the band two months. They've been a band for years. Like, you don't need to talk in the interview. Who cares what you have? Who cares what drummer number 10 or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) So that's just me being young and stupid. So I did do some of those in the start, but yeah. But never was exciting, though. What's that? I'm sure it was exciting, though. Oh, gosh. Joining that band was so exciting at the beginning in particular, because it was like, I had never toured the west coast i had done a lot of touring with my previous band the creature comforts but and we had a booking agent which was great but but we never had made that like west coast okay you're gonna tour the west coast with super drag or whatever you know it just had never happened you know we, we toured east coast a ton because our booking agent was in boston so then i joined the start you know and they're based in la you know so my first show with them, I think, was in San Luis Obispo, California, uh, where I'm sure you've played. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, some all ages show. And fun fact, of this is, this is super weird. So I'm this power pop guy in the Creature Comforts, right? And then again, in Blackpool Lights, you know, mm-hmm. like, like melodic power pop, you know, it was like melodic rock music, Tom Petty, yeah. Foo Fighters, whatever, right? I consider Foo Fighters a power pop band, modern power pop band. So the start is like, not that at all, as you know. And mm-hmm. so, but super rad, you know, girl singer for people that don't know, really cool band, kind of like for the time, like a modern punky new wave band, kind of see pretty Cynthia. dark, synthy, dark, yeah. heavy. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some gothy, a lot of gothy stuff, you know, so totally different world than what I had come up in. But the funny thing is the first tour we did, was a total power pop tour that would have been like a dream tour for the Creature Comforts. I'm not going to remember all the bands. No, yes, I will. It was four bands. We were one of them. I think we were second, maybe. But it was Piebald, Ozma. Oh. This is a tour you should have been on, probably. (laughs) It was Piebald, Ozma, and the format. Oh, wow. The singer of the format was the singer in Fun. Fun. Yeah. So it, we did, I mean, I think we still did. All right. I don't even remember, you know, it's my first two weeks in the band or whatever, but yeah, it's just so funny how that. That's a cool tour. It was a very cool tour. I mean, not again, it, the start was like the oddball on the, the bill for sure, but 
the creature comforts would have like, that would have like changed our lives. We've been on that tour. We would have sold more merch than we'd ever, <laughs> you know, imagined if we'd have done that tour, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome that you mentioned all those bands. I was going to bring up the creature comforts because the first time I ever went to El Torreon, I actually saw you guys play. You guys opened for Ultimate Fake Book. I just had Bill on the show not too long ago when they were in town. And yeah, that was the first, that was when they had it in the big room. When you first walked into that side door and turned to your right and they had that little seating area. I don't know if you remember, but they they eventually moved it into the small room, but that was the first show I ever went to at Altorion. I think it was, it was either 99 or 2000. I think it was 2000 because Ultimate Fake Book had just put out a record, but yeah, that's a great tour though. I mean, the format was blowing up around that time. There was all this talk about them signing to a major label or they were getting offers from Vagrant and they were turning them down and stuff like that because they're holding out for a major. Do you know Nate, Nate Harold? I do. From Okay. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. Okay. What's he doing? Where, He's where? in Sweden. He moved to Sweden with his wife. Sweden. Yeah. Is he like in, oh gosh, uh, what was the... Uh, the reference is lost, so the joke is gone. <laughs> uh, international Noise Conspiracy? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he joined he International Noise Conspiracy. Joined that band? Yeah. Well, I mean, Refuse is back together, so. Okay, okay. He's in Refuse uh, now. There you go. That, that makes yeah. the start tour with International Noise Conspiracy. That actually. Oh, cool. It. The Offspring. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a killer tour. Okay. Yeah, I actually have never seen Refused. I would love to see Refused. Yeah. Um, Same. You can probably hear my dog barking in the background. Yeah, Refuse is definitely on my bucket list. I did see International Noise Conspiracy, though. They were great. They were so cool, man. And they were really just really nice, sweet guys. When the start, we put out a record on Nitro Records, which the indie punk label that Dexter, Dexter owned, right? Yeah. Um, and so so we were you know, under their wing. We did a very short tour of the UK with them. And then we did like all of America with them in uh, 04. Wow. There's a few different openers on that tour. INC was one. Melissa Oftemar was out with us for a while, which was really cool. Gosh, I don't remember who else. Maybe it was just those two. Anyway, it was rad. Yeah, that's cool, man. You said you never made it out to the West Coast with the Creature Comforts. It's kind of the opposite for my old band, Game Time. We had a lot of friends from California. I'm not exactly sure how that happened. We were using Book Your Own Life online. And we would just contact anybody and everybody and try to get house shows. But we did it the exact incorrect way. We just, we didn't book any shows on the way out there. So we just drove straight to California and just went up and down the coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, you can do that. There's some, I mean, again, San Luis Obispo. I, I, I didn't even know what that was. You know, I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't know little California, Southern California towns. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah. yeah. We had a lot of friends from that area. Yeah, and Whittier and the Huntington Beach area around there. But yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we played San Luis Obispo. There was a venue there. I can't remember if it was the Cobalt Cafe or what was over there. A lot of those venues aren't around anymore. Chain Reaction is one of the few that still is, but... Chain Reaction is still there. Yeah, yeah. In Anaheim, yeah. They almost closed down during COVID, but then they had a benefit where you could buy a shirt. And I remember Thrice, they put out some limited merch, and I think that really helped them out quite a bit. So I love that venue. I love that venue so much. I, I, Blackpool Lights was on a, how can I tell this story? <laughs> I, really, I started, you know, you start to say something, you get into it, you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we were on a headlining tour 
too soon. That's not the part I hesitate about to where we, you know, we were headlining too soon. You know, we weren't, we needed to do some more, the right opening slots to build an audience nationally more. Anyway, very long, very hard tour. Went to Japan in the middle, which was, that was incredible. Wow. You know, tiring. And then, but on that tour, we played probably the biggest crowd we had was in Anaheim. And I'll just say to protect the guilty, there was some pretty serious technical personnel difficulties. And I was so mad. Oh my gosh. Cause it was like, finally, it was, I think it was like sold out or something. It was like totally packed. It was like, mm-hmm. we finally are playing like a really big crowd. You know? Oh, I was so mad. That's what I just remember of that show. Like, this is great. And then it was like, and then it just like, come on. I mean, it was still fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Punk rock. Punk. Yeah. I remember going in there sometimes and they had that little side area, the backstage yeah. and you'd come out. And I yeah. think I came, <laughs> I remember coming out and I had my guitar like on me, on my person. And I hit the wall as I was coming out and just completely knocked everything out of tune. Yeah. So that was always a disaster right before you hit that first chord. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I love that Blackpool Lights full length. It's so good. I revisited it last year when I interviewed Jim. Yeah. And I just forgot how great that record is. I love the melodies. There's so many great big anthemic choruses on that record. It just had a re-release, right? A repressing. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I I I feel the same. I mean, you know, humbly say all these years later. I mean, you know, Jim wrote those melodies, not me. So, you know, it's like it's incredible. I feel like it's I've been lucky to make a lot of records with a lot of people and, you know, either in bands or doing sessions or whatever, when I was living in Nashville or whatever. And, and, but that's my favorite, you know? Yeah. And I guess last year now. Yeah. I guess it was last year. Last year we, it, we got it out on vinyl for the first time. So, yeah, you know, came out in 2006 originally on CD. <laughs> CDs. CD, compact disc, man. I so, hear they're com- making a comeback. I, I'm fine. I still have all mine. Yeah, no, it's I, I, it's we real limited uh, release on Kick It to Heart Records. Yeah, that these dudes that I love their whole model. I mean, the first record they put out was a Rufio album, and when the Start toured the UK with the Offspring, Rufio was also uh, on those. Oh, shows. cool. I'm not those in. Guys touch. Are, those guys are homies of mine. They're they're rad. Yeah, they were so. Man. I'm not in touch with any of those dudes at all. But we had so much fun in the UK together. They were just, and they was really good, really sweet. I got us a, a CNC backline kit that we shared, the two of us. Cool. With Mike. What's that? Their drummer, Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still talk to Scott. Cool. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. But uh, no, the, the, the label, yeah, they, they put out this Rufio record. It, it just was like dudes that were a little younger than us, you know, but kind of like, same scene right you know and they just like either they probably found out about black pole lights through the get up kids i'd imagine like most people and just reached out randomly and it's, it's been a really great deal with those guys you know cool real small run i think it was only 500 records to be pressed you know but it's just been great to have it and, and yeah. uh, a lot of friends bought it i think a lot of people have maybe you know you meet people as you go through life i think there's a lot of people that are friends of mine i know for a fact there are a lot of people that are friends of mine now that I didn't even know, you know, in 2006 or whatever that, that bought it, you know, which is really mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great record. Yeah. yeah. For a collector, I think it'd be a cool item to have for sure. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, the art was really cool and we were able to, I was able to get in touch with the original artist 
Cause they're like, Oh, we, I mean that if you can, that's cool, but we won't, we don't need that. And so I just like, I found the CD in my basement. Even if I got rid of my CDs, I obviously wouldn't get rid of the records I made that are on. Sure. But time capsule. Uh, exactly. But I got, I, I, <laughs> I looked in there and his website was in the, in the liner notes from 2006. And I just thought, let me just see if this website still, it was, there was an email. Uh, wow. It happened to go to him. And then we were on the phone two days later and it was really, really great. And it was weird because I had never actually spoken to him. I think we had maybe been on an email thread, you know, talking about the art or whatever, but it was really, really cool. And so he was able to get, get back into the original files and reformat it and lay it out, you know, had to, had to do some work to, to reconfigure it for, you know, the specs for vinyl and then even use some of that artwork to do a t-shirt design for us. So anyway, it was, it was fun. Yeah. That's so rad. I love how you're able to reconnect that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that as I get older, I, I have these interesting connections. People will hit me up out of the blue yeah. and they'll say like, I saw you at a house show 20 years ago. You know, I heard your podcast. It's so rad. You're still doing stuff, anything related yeah. to music and right. yeah, it's cool. That's one of the very nice things about the internet, just being able to connect, connect us all and everything. But yeah, the artwork's great. That's so rad that his website was still up and functioning. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I kind of feel like he was, didn't use it a ton, but it was, it was still there, you know? It was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He, he's still working. His career had pivoted a little bit, but it's funny because, it, you know, I had talked about how this is the record that has kind of followed me around more than anything, more than any other record I've made, you know? And there's a lot of reason for that, I think, other than it being good. But I also feel like there's a lot of reason for it being good other than just talent. Mm -hmm. Not dramatic, but there's a lot that went into that record and it was a crazy time. But it, he kind of said the same for him, you know, just that that art really stood out to people. And, and again, the record, you know, it's like success, right? I mean, this is a thing I've thought about a lot in my <laughs> recent years, you know, in the music business, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the most successful record I've ever made. I mean, Jim Subtick has made far more commercially successful records with the Get Up Kids. But for me personally, that record's a total success. You know what I mean? I absolutely still make money from the record. I mean, really? like a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> let me, let me back up. I didn't make any money from the album sales. Mm. We've made a, a, a little bit, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever, you know what I mean? Sure. We only pressed 500 records on vinyl, but we've made a little bit of money of that. And it's splitting it with the, the guys that put it out, of course. But, you know, meaning we had a lot of in 06 and 07, and then also, you know, in 2017, we had a lot of songs placed on TV shows from that, mm -hmm. from that album. And so I saw you guys on Girl Boss. Girl Boss being the most recent a few years ago. My, my friend Kay Cannon created that show and, and we were in <laughs> the episode um, and then our, we had a song in the episode. And so, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was rad. Yeah. Totally I mean, random, I, but really cool at the same yeah, time. And uh, yeah. And the funny thing about that was that episode of that show it took place in this club and i can't remember what they called it in the show but in this club in silver lake in la set in 2006 mm -hmm. and we were playing a basically a fictional version of black cool lights there was an actor who was a singer i was the drummer and jim was the bass player anyway but um oh, i don't i didn't remember that i thought jim had like a line or something but i didn't realize there was another member of the band that wasn't yeah, who was an actor i think jim and i both said like hey or something to this the, the girl as she walked in or whatever but yeah but the real blackpool lights played that real club spaceland 
mm-hmm. uh, in 2006. So it was just kind of weird. <laughs> cool. Very meta. Yeah, very meta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like her, the person that the book is based on. I think we've got her book back here. Yeah, it's right here. Sophia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's great. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. But I mean, it's funny how this music and this time capsule, it has legs beyond yeah. you, you know, it just yeah. ends up in different areas. You're not quite sure where it lands, but sometimes it just lands in different areas. I love that about music. Yes. Yes. That's the beautiful thing about, about music, especially if you're lucky enough to get to record it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, that's forever. Right. Yeah. That Black Bull Lights record. You guys did that with Ed, right? Ed Rose. We did it with Ed Rose and Chris Toll. That's right. Yeah. Chris Toll. Okay. And he's incredibly talented too, but that record, there's something slightly timeless about it. I like the tones that you guys chose. It's not overly processed. It's a rock record, but it's still got a lot of like pop anthems, but it's one of those records that I think you could release it tomorrow and people would accept it just as it is. That's the best compliment that we could get. And so thank you. And I think that's why it still, like I said, still resonates with people. I mean, that's kind of what we were going for. You know what I mean? Most of our influences, you know, I mean, look, man, the first Beatles records sound different than the last Beatles records. So, you know, inevitably there's production things that can kind of date something, you know? Sure. Put the timestamp on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of an audio timestamp to it. But, but we were just trying to be like, this is just a cool guitar tone. You know, these are just big drums that sound like big drums, rock and roll drums yeah. room, you know? So yeah, that's, that's a, I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man, for sure. And it was around that time period, Blackpool Lights, when you were diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. Is that correct? Was it 2005? That's right. Yeah. So was it before or after that record came out? Because you said that came out in 2006. Yeah, it was all happening at once. Wow. Um, yeah. So Blackpool Lights, uh, so I was in Creature Comforts, like 97 to... 2002 just to talk about all the bands we've talked about yeah dude uh, and and we got to mention stick we'll get in i stick. didn't realize you were in stick that's yeah. insane that i remember i had their cassette that was like the first local band that i got into yeah yeah i was i would those guys yeah you want me to answer the cancer question or you want me to go back to stick you you can answer the the can't sorry i'm all over no, the place. I, I'm down, I love to talk about all that stuff so, <laughs> so stick yes i was in the band one year they were 10 years older than me my my the bass player was from my high school band a high school band of mine my friend mason fan okay he, he was a year older than me and then he actually audit somehow he got an audition for stick and then i still don't know how that came about my audition came through him anyway he auditioned got the gig and then a mob shortly thereafter eric khan my friend to this day I didn't know him at the time, but my great buddy in Austin, incredible drummer, he was leaving stick. He was the second drummer. Uh, Okay. And so I auditioned and got the job and Mike and Mark, the guitar player and the singer were 10 years older than me. And they were like the big brothers I never had. And, and it was a year of my life and it was incredible and hard. And we did a, uh, you know, whatever, but, and then that's how I met the guys in the creature comforts, but. Okay, cool. You were in the creature comforts until 2002. Creature Comforts till 2002, and then through my friend Eric Sanger, also my friend to this day, my buddy in Austin, Texas, El Paso kid, bass player, who was in this band Shotzi when we met him, a record Ed produced by this, this really cool record, Shotzi. Anyway, Eric and I, Eric was doing this tour with the start, like just filling in. They needed a rhythm section, and so we kind of auditioned together. 
And uh, anyway, that was that. So then the start was also uh, like a year, like summer of 03 to summer of 04. And then yeah. I, Jim and I started Black Bull Lights, you know, a couple months later. I left the start in August of 04, I think. So by that fall, we had formed Black Bull Lights. So then to answer your question, and we were writing songs, you know, Jim had some songs written, we were writing some songs together. And then I started at the beginning of 05, uh, 05, I started getting these tests done to figure out what this pain in my ankle was. I was in a terrible car wreck in 99, 1999, and a bunch of stuff happened to my body. And we just thought, oh, this must be some leftover from then that was undiagnosed that we didn't know. Anyway, but yeah, Black Lights, we played our first show in Kansas at all. It was in Kansas City, uh, of course, where we live. And and then a week later, I found out I had cancer. So yeah, you know, oh, it was a crazy, crazy time and yeah, wild timeline, you know. So you're experiencing pain in your ankle. That's kind of interesting. Did you have a tumor there or is it pressing on a nerve? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's ultimately what it was is I had this there was something that had been happening on and off for years in my ankle that, as my doctor later told me, wasn't cancer the whole time, but eventually the cancer set up shop there. So, you know, really in that last year before I finally went, well, I'd been, I'd had it checked out once, but I had like an x-ray where I finally went to go to a neurologist because we thought, well, the, the main thing from the car accident was a back injury. So it's like, this must be nerve damage, you know? Mm-hmm. It was nerve pain for sure. But it was one of those things where I find, so we went to a neurologist and he was like, yeah, this is not a neurological issue. So that's really annoying. I turned off the iMessage. Dude, we're lucky my dog hasn't started barking again because sometimes he'll just bark and there's no stopping him. I'll have to literally go get him. So that may happen. <laughs> it's all good. This is the season of life for me where my phone, all of my devices ding at once. Oh, dude, Honestly, I can I only imagine. I did not have my iMessage set up for six months. And then I just got it back up yesterday. Here we are. Anyway, but yeah, the neurologist said, yeah, this is not a neurological issue. You need a CAT scan and scan, scan, scan. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how it, That's how we figured it out. So when they did the initial x-ray, they didn't find anything? No, and there wasn't anything to find at the time. I mean, I don't know what it was. You know, that in retrospect, that probably wasn't the test to do. But, you know, that was years yeah. before. So there was something going on in there. But it, again, it wasn't cancer. It was some weird, you know, we'll never really know what that was, you know. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I have a friend. She just found out she has thyroid cancer not too long mm-hmm. ago. And it was a situation where she had suspected something was wrong almost a decade ago. And she had done her due diligence going back to the doctor several times. And she yeah. finally switched doctors, or I guess thyroid hormone specialist. And they did the scan and found out that she did need to get one side of her thyroid removed and she's doing great now, which is good. But it's interesting to think, you know, sometimes you really just have to be diligent and be your own best health advocate and go meet with lots of different people. And, but I'm glad they caught it. And then when did you have the amputation of your left leg? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we did all these tests. We determined that it was cancer. Then we determined that it was a different kind of cancer than they originally thought because they did a biopsy and they're able to kind of tell, okay, we think it's this, you know, give us a few days to run it through a bunch of pathology. We thought it was lymphoma. We wish it was lymphoma. It's this thing called Ewing sarcoma. We got to get to work. So I got in chemo right away, did a, did a bunch of other tests to make sure it wasn't anywhere else in my body, bone marrow biopsy, a bunch of gnarly crap. And then, uh, you know, I was in chemo within a week 
And then, you know, that, that, that's all still beginning of the year, 05, February, maybe at that point, March, something like that. I knew there would have to be some crazy surgery on my leg, kind of in the middle of the process, as they explained. And I knew that I was going to be in that process for probably the rest of the year. And so, you know, all of the surgery options weren't great, but they said the only reason you would lose your leg would be to save your life. So, but that's what we had to do. So that summer, August 4th, 2005, well, August 3rd, 2000, yeah, I was going to give you a tie black hole lights timeline back into that, but it, it was crazy. But yeah, I, I lost my leg that summer, you know, in August, but black hole lights, we had played the show, found out I had cancer, figured out what was going on, started chemo, my hair started to fall out. Then we went in the studio kind of like, well, we're ready anyway. I, I, I mean, I kind of feel like we, we, we rushed a little bit. Not rushed like it was hasty, but like it kind of sped us up to, to get the sure. couple songs finalized, you know. There was a sense of urgency there. There was a sense of urgency. And, and when I earlier I spoke of that record resonating, I think a lot of that's on there. You know, I think the sense of urgency is on there. I think the sense of fear and all of that from all of us of what was going to happen to me is on there. And, you know, I did all the drums in two days. And uh, wow. You know, yeah, it's some heavy hitting for for a couple of days. I mean, because we did, I don't remember. You know, we recorded more than was on the album than was on the album for other little, you know, international releases and stuff like that. So, but you know, it was a. That's why it was like I feel like it was kind of like this blessed kind of ordained time, you know, that weekend. But really, the whole the making of the whole album, it's it's all on there, you know. So get the record done. We did drums and vocals with Ed Rose. And then we did everything else with Chris at Black Lodge. And we did everything else with Chris Toll at his house. And then Ed mixed it. Nice. Um, I remember one time we kept asking him to tweak this one thing. It's so funny. And uh, Ed clearly expressed his frustration with us asking him to mix, <laughs> to keep tweaking this one song so many times that I remember that when he sent the file back for us to check, it was something like, the song was Crash Sounds. Mm-hmm. And I think it said crash mix 1 million or something with well, some large number as if to say like, is this not enough for you guys? <laughs> I think that was the one we went with, but thank you, Ed. Uh, yeah. It worked. It sounds like an Ed record for sure. Yeah. 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 But no, we, we, uh, the, the funny thing is we had kind of collectively, the band went on tour with a sub to fill in for me to start kind of setting up the, building an audience and setting up the record. Here's this new band, that whole thing. And they left, I believe the day before my surgery, which is like crazy, you know, I wow. Brian, our bass player coming. And that was an unbelievably sad day anyway, but it all worked out. Right. You know, I lost my leg and, you know, really the timeline, you know, upon learning I had cancer, but not knowing I was going to lose my leg. We kind of, I remember we had a meeting where we kind of mapped out a timeline of how we thought, of what we thought we should do based on how we thought things were going to go with me. Yeah. And losing my leg was not part of that equation at the time. I mean, it was in the back of my head, but the timeline wasn't part of the plan wasn't part of the plan, but the timeline remained even after the plan changed. So I feel good about that. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I remember Brian, uh, again, Brian Everard, my brother, our bass player, who was also the bass player in the creature comforts, creature comforts. Yeah called the day I got the news that I was going to lose my leg, you know, and, and, uh, we were both emotional and I said, but mark my words, the plan, the timeline is going to stay the same in that 
get me through the end of the year and then we'll start touring at the beginning of 06. And we did, you know, so cool. Yeah. I bet that was a terrifying and confusing time. It's a good way yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was a, a whole assortment of emotions for everybody yeah. involved, you know, because they're obviously wanting their friend to be okay. And yeah, I can't even imagine, but out of that, like you said, it all worked out and it's interesting, the catalyst from right there, because I was reading the about section of Steps of Faith last night on the website. I didn't realize that you had some friends throw a bit of a fundraiser for you to get the prosthetic afterwards. Yeah. When was that? Was that towards the end of 05? That was in the spring of 2006. So, 2006. you know, lost my leg August of 05, healed, you start healing back in chemo, all that, got a, like a temporary basic yeah. aesthetic leg to try to learn how to walk. Yeah. I was going to ask if it was a loner. It, I mean, I, no, I paid for it. My insurance, okay. but, but it was, it was a, uh, you know, a real bit. Ba- I lost my leg above the knee, three inches above the knee. So most people don't know about prosthetic stuff, you know? So that means the prosthetic leg had to have a knee joint, which, you know, it just takes longer to learn how to walk again. Basically. Sure. And the, the stuff is more expensive. So yeah. I had this basic thing. We were on the road with that, the whole thing, you know, I could barely walk, but you know, you sit down to play the drums. Right. So it worked out and, you know, my bandmates helped me load in and set up and all that stuff. But yeah, then I know in, then it was time to get the, you know, the permanent prosthetic leg and it's not the permanent actual one, but it's the permanent type mm-hmm. that was three legs ago. And we're submitting to, for me to get, it's time for me to get a new one right now, you know? Wow. So, and at the time I, they're all expensive, you know, all this, anything medical is expensive. Everybody knows that there. Yeah. So my insurance wasn't doing the thing that we pay them to do at the time. And so they were only going to cover half. And my leg is ridiculously expensive. $60,000, six zero stupid. Wow. And it's not like you can drive a Honda, but you choose a Ferrari. No, no, no. That, that stuff doesn't apply to prosthetic devices. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of types of prosthetic legs and arms because there's a lots of different kinds types of people and bodies you know sure i wear the thing that thank god this technology exists that is appropriate for my body my age and activity level i ain't climbing kilimanjaro i don't care about that i'm not running a marathon i didn't do yes. that before i want to walk around and you know be normal play drums sure. with my kids that kind of thing exactly uh, and so, yeah, so we hit, we put on this, I'd got the news that I was going to have to come up with, you know, 30 grand or whatever. And I happened to be right after that appointment meeting a friend of mine for lunch, my friend, Corey Rittmaster, who was, I don't remember where he was living at the time, but he's from here. And we met when I was 18, I auditioned and started working at this improv comedy club in Kansas city called comedy sports with a Z at the end sports in <laughs> city a few years later, but and so I met a lot of great friends there, like some of my best friends to this day. And Corey is one of those guys. And so Corey was like, well, maybe we could put together a fundraiser for you. I was like, okay. So anyway, long story short, Corey and his wife, Monique, put together this fundraiser to come up with the 30 grand for me that was part improv comedy show and part rock show. And it was at the old record bar. And we did two yeah. shows, early show and a late show. And it was Corey and his wife, Monique, our friend, Ed Goodman, doing the improv comedy show. Jason Sudeikis, who were all comedy sports buddies. Sudeikis and I came into comedy sports at the same time in uh, 1995. And Jason's wife at the time, who we've already referenced in this interview, Kay Cannon, who created Girl Mm -hmm. Boss. 
who's a filmmaker and a writer, and she did the, wrote the Pitch Perfect movies and directed the movie Blockers and directed an incredible Cinderella movie that came out last year with Camila Cabello, which is a musical and brilliant masterpiece. Cool. Uh, actually, for those that don't know, it's not just a kid's movie. It's a very fun take on Cinderella. You should go see it. There you go. Uh, yeah. Amazon Prime. Anyway, they did. They put together this. They did this. These two comedy shows, and we did this rock show. Black Will Lights played. Our friends, the Architects, played one of those shows with us too. I think the Late Show, maybe the Phillips Brothers. Love those dudes. Love the Architects. Yeah, lifelong friends. I've known them since I was eighteen. And the Gadgets uh, Time. Gadget from Gadgets Time. Exactly. So yeah, that was that. So yeah, we raised cool. the money, and I had this great new robot leg, and immediately walked faster, and immediately walked more securely, and immediately felt more safe. That's part of what this leg does: is helps to keep you from falling and keep you from being injured and keep you out of the hospital. Keep you stable. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really great. And, you know, and we, there was a lot of obviously amazing things that happened that night that resonated for years to come, you know, so. Yeah. And was that the catalyst for Thundergong? I mean, that was sort of the impetus, right? That was the inception point where you thought, oh, okay, well. It was the inception point for Thundergong, for sure. It was not the inception point for Steps of Faith. But it, what happened is I remember the next day driving around. And I mean, dude, this was crazy. Like two shows. We raised, I needed to raise 30 grand. We raised 40. Wow. Um, both were sold out. A bunch of people were turned away. Like we, I remember, I guess the late show, they, we turned like 100 people away. Like Dang. who's coming to this? Like my friends, we had to turn them away. It's just, there's no room, you know? <laughs> That's a bummer. Um, yeah. And I remember I was driving around with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And I was like, maybe we do this again in a year and give the money to somebody else that needs this. You know, we didn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, then fast forward, that's 06. Fast forward to 2013. We're living in Nashville, trying to make my way as a studio musician there. And we had a brand new baby that came early and unexpected and he was great and healthy, but it was scary. And I was like, well, I don't want to leave the house, let alone leave the city to go on tour. I was working as a studio musician, but I was working mostly on the road with, you know, touring with artists and stuff. And, and so, yeah, I steps of faith came in that time. I was asked to talk to a, I was leaving an appointment, getting my leg tweaked. I don't remember what I was, you know, doing was with my leg guy, my prosthetist, the leg specialist. And so and he said, I have a new patient that lost his leg to cancer and he's being fit today. Would you go in and talk to him for me? I think he'd benefit from seeing somebody who's, you know, down the road a ways on this and, you know, can walk around well and all that. I was like, I would love to do that. I feel like that's why this happened to me. And I never get to have those conversations. Let's do it. Talked to the guy for five minutes, saw the hope in his eyes. And I just was like, thanking God when I left there that I was able to speak that language to this guy. You know, it's different in saying I empathize, I sympathize, and I can only imagine what you're going through. I'm like, no, I know what you're going through, and I'm here to tell you it's going to get better, you know. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, I wish that could be my job. So I was looking for a new job. I was like, I don't want to go on the road. This, I don't want to be away from this baby. It's already hard enough, you know, never seeing my wife being gone all the time. Sure. And, um, yeah. And so the next day I went back and I had another appointment with my prosthetist. I told him that. And so maybe that could be your job. So time passed, but eventually he, not that much time. And he introduced me to the guy that owned the prosthetic clinic. And this guy's name's Rob Pittman, who's still an, will always be an incredibly important person in my life because he changed it 
And so Rob and I basically had a series of conversations and essentially what he did was he said, how about you, you know, you can kind of do the thing that you did, you know, and help new amputees or just help amputees at all. I've been trying to get this nonprofit off the ground for four years. We do have 501c3 status. I've been busy running this for-profit business and raising a family. How about you come on and do this and be the executive director and let's see what we can do. So I always joke, he tossed me the keys to a car with no engine in it that day and said, let's see if we can get this going. And, you know, next April will be 10 years. And, wow. you know, and, so, and, and the mission of Steps of Faith is, is to help amputees that have no health insurance or no prosthetic coverage with their health insurance. Medicaid in some states does not cover prosthetics for adults like Texas. I always cite that state because it's enormous. So we help a ton of people in Texas who have health insurance. They just don't. And so not all the legs, you know, are $60,000, but, you know, they're never below $5,000 but we can get them at wholesale. We can get them much cheaper. We can help somebody for as low as $500. And to keep with the numbers, people who don't know someone that's anything about prosthetics or someone that's lost a leg. I mean, I was one of those people until I was not, you know, until I was one of those. people. And so, you know, 500 people lose a limb every day in America, which seems like I'm making that up. It's actually like 507 or 510 or something like that, you know, from, from diabetes, vascular disease, auto accidents, cancer, like me, whatever, you name it, you know, freak accidents, crazy infections, dude, I've heard them all. None of them are good. They're all crazy, but it happens all the time. Not all those people are uninsured, but so, you know, it's not this like, you know, who in the world needs that? You know, it's a lot of people. So, I mean, I had no idea. Yeah. most Most people don't. I mean, steps of faith, we've already helped. We had a goal this year you know, this is our ninth year to help. And we, uh, we're we all over the, we, we're based in Kansas City now, but help people all over the country. Small shop, there's just three of us and a bunch of volunteers all over the country, right? And so we had a goal to help 185 amputees in America this year. And we've already helped 200 and we're going into a big fundraiser and the year's not over yet. So, you know, yeah. the, this demand, demand is, the need for what we do, excuse me, unfortunately is not going away. So we can't stop yeah. Unreal, man. That's crazy. Thank you for not only sharing your story, but just telling us more about the organization. It's a wonderful organization. I didn't realize that it was a thing before you came into the fold, but that probably gave you a little bit of confidence, I would imagine, to maybe work on the car or work on the engine, uh, so to speak. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a thing in that, yeah, there was the frame to the car, right? You know what I mean? It, it, was, a, yeah. it was a thing in that Rob had established a 501, you know, a nonprofit that had tax exempt status to do this thing, to get prosthetics because mm-hmm. people would come into his clinic, didn't have health insurance, hardworking people. They were just stuck in a catch 22. I've lost my leg. I just need to get a leg so I can get back to work. They aren't working. So they don't have money to cover this. They don't have health insurance. So it was this, this problem. And so he, you can, you know, he thought, well, I'll try to, what if I create a nonprofit to be able to help these people? Cause he was yeah. just writing it off, you know, just writing it off, writing it off. You can only do that so much. So, sure. so the, the idea was in place and it was basically this really good idea that had been just sitting on the shelf. And so, I mean, that's kind of how stuff works. You just kind of need the right people to come together to make something actually happen. You yeah. Know? And, you know, thank God he was Rob descended from <laughs> the sure. sky into my lap or me into his or whatever, because we've been able to help a lot of people as a result. Rob's not even involved anymore. He's on the periphery, you know, but I mean, thank God he was there to give me this opportunity and to, you know, and again, have this idea in the first place, but yeah, you know, I turned it into a business. I put, I built the board of directors and a nonprofit is still very much 
a business and actually has to jump through way more dumb expectations and antiquated hoops than a for-profit business. It's ridiculous. People think you aren't supposed to be paid. That's what nonprofit means. No, that's not at all. It just means when you go to, you know, the snack shack, the best burger in Kansas city on Johnson drive now, and you give them your money, they will give you an amazing burger and whatever it is you order. Uh, when you come to steps of faith and you give us your money, we are going to help somebody that you probably don't even know walk again. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how the nonprofit works. So sure. um, yeah, we're lucky. It's a good thing. It's a life giving enterprise where you get to ensure that you get to help as many people as possible. And the way you do that is you still have to make a living, right? You still have a family to take care of. It still keeps the ship moving, right? Yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And what I love about it is I can't even imagine losing a limb, but you're not only giving people functionality back, you know, the ability to just be able to function and go back to work, but you're giving them a sense of dignity and autonomy. I mean, as a human being, those are two massive things that you always want to try to have. It's basic life traits. Autonomy is something that I go back to all the time, especially as an adult. I keep going back to that word. And in order to have autonomy, to have choices, you got to be able to bare bones function, right? So really cool what you guys are doing. And then you came into Steps of Faith in 2013, right? And when was the first Thunder Gong? It's been going for six years now. Yeah, this will be the sixth. So you know, much like Rob had this idea for this nonprofit and it took he and I coming together in order to make Steps of Faith work. I had had this idea for this fun fundraiser, mainly as we talked about with the bones of it being at least similar to what my friends did for me in 2006, music and comedy. You know, we were doing a fundraiser early on that was out. There there was a fundraiser that that a friend was helping put together in LA. And it was basically, we were, we were getting together. It was an existing event. Okay. That they, this board member was like, I have these friends that do this event. Maybe we can turn this into a fundraiser for steps of faith. So it was kind of like refashioning something. So it didn't, it went fine, but it was clunky. Right. Okay. Uh, I say that because I had asked Kay Cannon to come and be a part of this fundraiser. So of course, as Kay does, she came and was a huge part of the fundraiser and you know, knowing it was kind of like we were trying to put our thing on somebody else's thing and that it was an existing event. Kay said it was, I remember that night she asked if she could join our board of directors, you know, oh, cool. had tears in our eyes. This was 2014, maybe real early on. But what she said was, and she was like, and we're going to stick to what we know when it comes to fundraising, we're going to do improv comedy. We're going to do rock and roll. We're going to do it our way. And that's what we've done ever since. I mean, she's right. That's what she knows. That's what I know. That's what Sudeikis knows. And so I had had this idea of something like that for a fundraiser for a while. And yeah, really long story short, it took a long time of talking to Jason and trying to organize something in Nashville that didn't really, you know, never got off the ground. And really, we would have never made it to Thundergong if it wasn't for Kay Cannon being and some other folks, but being a big lifeblood for Steps of Faith as a donor and a board member. And then it really, we would have never made it, Thundergong wouldn't have been possible without Stakus, of course, but it also wouldn't have been possible without Kansas City. I mean, it's really this thing, you know, we know that we live in a special place here. And mm-hmm. of course, we're partial because it's, it's our, our homeland, but it's just different. I'm a Midwest guy in Kansas City. I mean, I, again, back to Kay. 
we were doing the fundraiser here that went actually really well um, mm-hmm. show after that LA thing. And she'd been here plenty. Kay was married to Sudeikis back in the day and uh, he's from here. So she was, I remember she was like, I haven't been here in a long time, but I forgot how nice everyone is here. You know? Yeah. She grew up like in uh, outside Chicago, you know, she's still Midwest, but yeah. So Thundergong was really, it's very much me and Jason, but it's very much Kansas city. You know, when, when yeah. we were conceiving this idea, one of the things he said was, you know, we're going to Kansas city, the S H I T out of this. <laughs> I didn't cuss it, I spelled it, but um, <laughs> anyway, so, and that's what we've done, you know, it's, it, and that, that's, and really it's like, we've just kept it authentic to us, you know, but yeah, it, it couldn't work in Nashville. And I think it feels more special here because it's, you know, he's from here and mm-hmm. I'm from here and, and it's just, yeah, it's just a different, this is the kind of thing you can't see anywhere else, you know, the thing yeah. together. It's true. Kansas city is kind of city. That's what I always say. Definitely have a lot of pride having lived in Kansas city my whole life. And I'm actually in Lawrence right now, which is kind of funny, but yeah, love Kansas city. And I've been to Thundergong a few times. It is an absolute blast. And you're right. I don't think I've ever been to anything like it before. It almost reminds me of, I grew up in the eighties, so I'm 38. So I remember when I was a kid, I would still see old reruns of these, what do they call them? The shows where they include music and comedy skits. Not like Saturday Night Live, but... Variety show? Variety shows, yes. I remember those from the 80s. I remember seeing the reruns from the 70s. You know, I think sometimes I'd go over to my grandparents' house and they'd be watching old reruns of variety shows. And that was, you know, I have that frame of reference. But I remember the first year that I went, I went with Pamela, who's my wife now. She was like, this is like a variety show. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly what it is. Rock and roll. It's so fun. Yeah, there's Jason hosts, but Jason also sings a bunch. And, you know, this year, like most years, we've got, you know, Fred Armisen and we have Brendan Will Hunt. Forte. Will will hopefully be back this year. Oh, we'll- I hope so, man. It's Yeah, he was at the ones that we went to and it was... He's been at every one, yeah. And so, you know, Brendan Hunt, who we had the first year, who's an old pal, who now most of the world knows is Coach Beard on Ted Lasso. And mm-hmm. uh, Sam... Sam's Rich- coming back. Sam is coming back and he's, Sam is actually like a professional grade singer. He's brilliant. Like could seriously could like make his own records. He's really good. All those guys can sing, but Sam can sing, sing. When does this come out? Who have we, we've not announced everybody. I, you, you tell me when I can, I'll edit it and I can put it out whenever you want. Okay. Yeah. I can wait a couple of weeks. I'll probably wait a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, the show's November 12th. So just put it Okay. Out. So we can't wait that long. <laughs> we put it out at the beginning of that week or something, but yeah. So Hembry. Our friends from Lawrence, now Los Angeles. Oh, dude, Isaac's an old friend. So his very first band, Lawrence Letterday, used to play with Game Time all the time. Yeah, Lawrence Letterday yeah. played some shows with Black Blue Lights. And, and I've known Isaac's parents. And, and, I, and actually, Isaac's dad now plays in Summer Breeze, my... Oh, cool. Not rock tribute band, my longest running band I've ever had. 13, That's badass. 13 years going, Summer Breeze. But, and Summer Breeze is also serves as the house band for Thunderbomb. We play with everybody. So Isaac's dad is, has been in our band for the last uh, almost three years now. And I've known him since, you know, 95, 96, John Flynn. But Hembry is going to do it. We will soon be announcing next week. Our friend Winona Judd is going to be doing the show, which she has most years. Her husband, Cactus Mosier, is, Cactus and Winona are the best. They're like family. Her husband, we met because he's a left leg above the knee drummer amputee wow left leg above the knee amputee drummer like me that's how we met originally before steps of faith started 
They'll be on the show. Our friend Jason Barnes, who we will announce, who as a has an arm amputee drummer, incredible drummer from Atlanta. And then there's a couple other possible, you know, gasp things that may or may not happen. So I shouldn't talk about those because they yeah. even at this moment are not. We don't know. That might be it. Keep it a mystery. But yeah, that's an incredible lineup right there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. That's awesome, man. It's really cool. It's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, the second I saw that Thundergong was a thing, oh, this is cool. This is a really cool thing. And yeah, we went, I remember the last time I went, I was standing right next to Tim. I forget his last name. He writes reviews for music. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, really nice guy. But it was packed. It was so much fun. And I had a lot of fun watching the live streams over the last couple of years. I'm glad this year it's in person again. That's great. Just something about being in the room, you know, feeling the music and everything. So cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. And I look forward to the show. It's November 12th. That's, is that Saturday? Saturday, November 12th. As a moment, we do have, you know, a small handful of tickets left for sale. Once Winona's announced, those will go. Those will be gone. Um, yeah. Those will be gone. So by the time this airs, hopefully it's very sold out. But as I say, Thundergong is something that we basically plan all year. It's a big fundraiser. It's a lot of fun. It's one night, but it's to raise money for Steps of Faith, which is year round, never ending stream of people that need our help all mm-hmm. over the country. So, you know. And you guys have raised a ton of money. I mean, it is really impressive. Yeah, you know, and I feel like we're barely scratched the surface based on the, frankly, the the quality of the show that we put together and the caliber of talent that is involved, you know, so I feel we're kind of just getting started. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, we did 400 grand last year. I mean, this whole thing has changed everything for Steps of Faith and, you know, is like a dream come true for me, really, you know, I mean, in, in 2017, when we started it, there was a time where we were about to run out of money. Like we always, as a small, young nonprofit, we never actually did, but it always looked like we were about to, well, there's two grand left in the bank account, you know, whatever less, you know, and somebody always came in, Kay or some board member or Bruce Johnson, our sweetheart of a friend, donor, you know, somebody shows up with, a $5,000 check and it's like, okay, we're going to be able to help more people and make it to the next, you know, quarter or whatever. So, I mean, our budget to pay me and a part-time employee, Jim Septic in 2017 and help a bunch of people was $150,000. I didn't, I don't make anywhere near $150,000. That was the operated, that was to do everything, you know? And I had basically asked Jason, he had given money before, but I had never asked him. And so I asked him to help and by writing a big check and committing to putting together this fundraiser with me. And he did both. And uh, we hit the 150 grand, which we wanted to do. And then Thundergong raised another 150 grand. Nice. So it was like doubling our, you know, so that kind of changed the whole trajectory of the organization. And, you know, we've been able to grow and there's still only three employees, but there's three full-time employees. Yeah. uh, Secured you for another year. But it really speaks to Jason and his generosity. And he went back to his roots. Oh, 100%. That's and cool. We, and we do the stuff we grew up doing together that we love, you know, doing improv comedy shows together, making music, seeing music. Jason's a huge music fan and a very musical person and can sing and play drums and dance and play basketball yeah. and write 
incredibly hit TV shows. He's good at everything. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've been lucky. There's a lot of friends out there that they just seem to be good at every single thing they do. <laughs> really otherworldly talented. That's cool, man. And I love the fact that it all came full circle. You got to do the life-giving stuff. You're helping people, you know, because you were kind of getting burned out with music, which a lot of us do. It just happens. You get to a place where it feels more like just endless commitments and a job. Yeah. A job that, you know, just feels like endless commitments. But now you get to be creative. It's the best of both worlds, right? You get to do music and you get to help people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about the success earlier. That's success, I think. Yes, it is. 100%. Yes. I love it, man. It's a killer story and one that I just love hearing about. I got to ask too, since I've got you here for a couple more minutes. Again, I just, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. You went to the Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts. I think we have to at least acknowledge that, right? Like that was, oh dude, that's sick. (laughs) Yeah. I, I went to both, which I feel very lucky. And I mean, you know, that's all Jason. That's all Sudeikis for sure made that happen. I mean, we, I saw the first Foo Fighters tour in 1995 at the bottleneck. Insane. (laughs) The middle band opening for Mike Watt. And then Eddie Vedder was Mike Watt's guitar player on that tour. And Grohl was one of the drummers. There were two drummers. Grohl played some guitar. Anyway. So, I mean, I've been a fan, like, (laughs) you know, I mean, the joke in the music scene, you know, is like, uh, like the hard times, you know, it's like, oh, I like, the, I like their demos better or whatever. Right. You yeah. know, everybody uh-huh. over it. And so it's like people that were there at the beginning, I was there at the beginning for Foo Fighters, you know, and been there ever since. And, and, you know, I have a Led Zeppelin tattoo and love Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and the police and Elvis Costello and the stones and blah, 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 blah. But, but Foo Fighters are my band, you know, I mean, I've grown up with that band and I remember the record. I remember seeing them. I remember going because to see Eddie Vedder play, you know, like Eddie Vedder's playing a club. This is crazy. He only sang one song, but you know, wow. and then they're like, Oh, and then learning that Dave Grohl from Nirvana, who I was a fan of, I was honestly more of a Pearl Jam fan at the time than mm-hmm. Nirvana. I loved Nirvana, but I loved Pearl Jam. Right. Yeah. I grew to love th- that switched. I love them both now, but, yeah. um, but I remember just being blown away, you know, was like, you know, your palate is only so broad as an 18 year old, you know, but I just was like, I loved it. I was like, this guy is kick ass, you know, and I love these songs and just big, loud rock songs that are super melodic and catchy and just hooks for days. And so, yeah, been a fan ever since Jason and I traveled to see what to this day, maybe, maybe this has been, maybe this has been one up since the Wembley show, but to this day, my favorite concert was Sing Foo Fighters and Supergrass opening. Yeah. Incredible power pop band. And I was able to talk to Gaz, the singer of Supergrass in London about this. But wow. And, and Jason referenced this in Wembley. But Jason and I and our friend Corey Rittmaster, the guy that organized the fundraiser, we drove to St. Louis to see Foo Fighters at uh, the beginning of the Color and Shape tour. Supergrass was opening. And that's my favorite concert to this day. It's incredible. I remember so many things about it. And when, when I was in London, I was. Jason and I were reminiscing about it. And he was like, oh, how do you remember? I remembered about all these details, but he remembered details that I did, you know, and that's how, that's the fun thing of memories and shared experiences with your friends, right? But yeah, uh, yeah so 10 minutes later to answer your question, I love Foo Fighters and, and obviously Taylor passing away was incredibly devastating and still sad to this day. I met him many times and felt a kinship with him 
even though, you know, I didn't have his number or anything like that, you know, every time I met him, it was kind of the first time, you know, meeting him, but the dude's a huge rock star, but Jason had become legitimate friends with those guys, you know? And so, you know, and has done things with them. And so, yeah, you know, my wife and I were lucky enough to go over to London and spend a week with Jason and, and go see this show at Wembley, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it was incredible. And Jason was a part of it as an MC and told that a brief version of that story of us going to St. Louis to when he introduced Supergrass. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the show was six hours. Wow. Um, which is crazy. And then the LA show was also six hours. They were very different experiences, mm. very different shows. Like the, the, there was probably 75% different, but they yeah. were also both six hours. And, and so, yeah, I just feel very like when I asked him about the LA show, I was like, part of me almost feels like I, I just was like, if I can go, I should. Right. Like, can you help make this happen? And uh, I just was like, I'm the target demographic for this. Like mm-hmm. I'm the person, I'm the type of person that should be there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I completely <laughs> agree. Dare I say. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I feel very, very lucky that I was able to, to go to any of them, let alone both. And they were incredible experiences. I'm sure. Yeah. Unreal experiences. You'll never forget. Did but, you know Paul was going to come out at the first one? So I had a feeling that was going to happen. Yeah. Just knowing that like Dave had been a surprise guest at Paul's Glastonbury set. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, you know what? I bet. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And I had a little bit of a heads up from, from Jason, but yeah. So that was you know just incredible. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Thanks for sharing that story. I love the, the story about the bottleneck and going to St. Louis too. Do you remember where they played in St. Louis? The American theater, the American theater. Okay. It's still there. I remember it was like, you know, a really pretty ornate old theater, but a lot of the interior was like white. So mm-hmm. like, kind of like the Midland theater, but it just white, it's just like big and pretty. We were sitting in the balcony in the front row. So it kind of felt like we were like right, right there to the stage, you know? Yeah. I saw one other show there a few years later, which was actually Tenacious D. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I met them that night, which was weird, but cool. But, cool. Um, yeah. The American theater in St. Louis. And again, we looked this up because Jason, we were talking about it when I was over there and then he was like, Oh, I'm introducing super. I said, Oh my gosh. And so, you know, because one of the great things about the internet, plenty bad, but one of the great things is I looked it up and I, it was like July, I don't remember the date, but July of 97. Wow. Um, American Theater, St. Louis. There was, we, you know, we found the set list, you know, I remember they'd opened with Everlong. Nice. Um, you know, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Killer, man. Color in the Shape. It's one of my favorite records of all time. But man, I go back to that first record all the time. Mm-hmm. the first Foo Fighters record. It's so good. It's so good. And just raw as hell, man. It's just like, yeah, I love the recording though. The recording, there's just something about it. It's just lightning in a bottle. It captures something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. You know, yeah. I, I'm reading Grohl's book right now. Storyteller. Storyteller that he put out last year or whatever. A friend of mine, my buddy Jordan, who went with me to the LA Foods show, to Taylor Tribute Show, Memorial Show, he gave me that book last year around Thundergong time. For some reason, I just started reading it. I mean, I, I, I think honestly, I, after Taylor died, I didn't want to think about, I didn't listen to Foo Fighters or want to think about that for months, you know. But anyway, I'm reading it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's great. It's so good. 
you know? Yeah. You know, and that guy came up just like any of us, you know what I mean? Doing the kind of tours that we were talking about doing, you know? And, and in a lot of ways had it like way rougher than me. That dude slept in the van, in his van and on floors, like way more than I did. And I did a lot of it. I did it for years, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Playing in punk bands in the late eighties. There was no money there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're just couch surfing across the Pacific Northwest, I would imagine, you know, going down to North California. Yeah, I need to read that book. I've got it sitting on my shelf over here. Man, it's really great. It jumps around, you know, it's, it's memoir, kind of these stories. I mean, they do connect, but it, it, it's really, it's great. I, I don't know what I expected, but I'm like getting, I, maybe it's just the, t- the, the time in which I'm reading it. I don't know. I'm yeah. getting, I'm just, I'm really getting a lot out of it. You know, yeah. I'm about two thirds the way through. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's amazing. Sometimes books you'll buy them. And then two years later, they just find you somehow. They just hit you right at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. great, man. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Well, cool, man, dude. I really appreciate your time today. This has been really cool. Did we do it? Is this, we did it. I, th- okay. I think we did it. This is great. I mean, this is, I loved hearing your stories, not only about all the bands that, you know, I was familiar with you back then I knew who you were and seeing you in the creature comforts in the late nineties, early two thousands, but then Blackpool lights. And I'm pretty sure the start in game time played a show many, many moons ago. It's probably around 2003. I don't remember where it was. I I just Nick remembers. Okay. I need to hit him up then, but I have forgotten because it's the timing of this interview is really funny because he posted a Facebook memory today, which was a picture of a band that we were in together for just a few months why we even did a photo session i have no idea but <laughs> pictures you were like, been with nick yes yes oh, i didn't know that that's crazy briefly this was like um 09 2009 and it was called okay. the clangs k-l-a-n-g-s you look at his facebook today he did a posted a memory of it oh um yeah i'm gonna see this for sure yeah i talked to him yesterday okay i have not talked to him in a very long time i love that guy but it was me and nick with the rhythm section and then Greg LaFollette was the singer. He had written all that. He had put up this record and we were playing those songs. And so kind of one of those bands that should have continued because it would have evolved into something that I, I think the band was really cool, but I think it would have evolved into something that was way, way, way cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Greg LaFollette and Chuck Whittington, who are my brothers to this day that I've played in a million projects with most importantly, Summer Breeze. And I'll be seeing them a lot in the next couple of weeks as we prep for the 11th hour here of Thunderdome. So very cool. Yeah. Nick knows everybody. He's like a mini celebrity. I tell him all the time. I make fun of him. <laughs> That's cool, man. Worlds collide. It's crazy, man. Small world. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool, man. It was really cool to talk to you in person. I don't think we've ever officially met or anything, but I've been a fan. Just that, just that day and wherever we were. And yeah. Was- yeah. And I'm sure I recognized you from the creature comfort. So, you know, I'm, I was such an introverted kid and I still am in many ways, but I'm just surprised I didn't at least introduce myself. You know, it's such a haze back then. I I, I wasn't on drugs or anything, but I just, there's so many instances where people remind me all the time. They're like, you remember this one show? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. It's weird. My memory, memory, as you get older, it's just weird. Some things are dark and some things it's like, like I was actually telling my wife, I showed her that picture that Nick posted. And I was like, I have very little memory of actually doing this photo shoot. You know, mm-hmm. I remember it, but not well, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You go to, I, you show up at a club, you look at the itinerary, you know, this happened all the time. It's like, I've never played that club in my life. Then you get there, you're like, 
course I have. I've been <laughs> I have been here before. I've been here, yes. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, cool. Well, this is fun, dude. This is a very illuminating conversation. Keep it up. I'm sure you will. It's amazing work that you do. Really cool. Really cool success story for sure. And say hi to Jim Septic for me. I just saw him play twice out here at Lawrence last weekend and then Kansas City the weekend before. So that was cool. Seeing to get up kids twice in one week was a highlight for sure. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, continue doing what you're doing and look forward to going to Thunder Gong again in many years to come. I'm sure our paths will cross at some point. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks All for right, do this, man. This is fun. Of course, dude. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Yeah. All, All right, right, buddy. Well, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Thanks. And I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care and I'll talk to you later. So close your